Gabby, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. And you were one of the first people to do an initial firsthand testimony video with us. And it is still one of our top performing videos. So we're excited to have you back onto our long form podcast this time. And if you could just introduce yourself, because we have a lot of new people, a part of our, our supporters, and I'm sure they haven't met you yet. So if you could uh, give a little summary of who you are, I think that's a great place to start. Well, thank you again for having me. It's definitely a pleasure to talk to you. You always are so great, especially talking about this topic about socialism. But for those who don't know me, my name is Gabi Franco. I was born in Venezuela and immigrated to the United States in 2002. Uh, I was the first female Olympic shooter to represent Venezuela in the Olympic Games. And I was Olympic hope. I uh, had already uh, won several medals internationally and left everything behind because I saw everything that was happening in Venezuela and I moved to the United States. I'm also known for my participation on the TV show, History Channel, Top Shot. And I was the first woman to go very far in the competition. And I'm a competitive shooter, mother, army wife, college student. <laughs> And I guess everything else that you can put, everything I can, I can try to do, I'll try to do my best. So I just like to have fun. I love that. And, you know, just a few <laughs> things, not impressive at all. <laughs> uh, so what are you going to college for still? Well, I used, I was doing marketing and then I changed to psychology uh, as an Olympic athlete. I uh, used to work a lot with sports psychologists. And I even had a seminar, which I still kind of do. It's called the mental dynamics of target shooting. So I was kind of going in that area of things. And after one class on my marketing, uh, for my marketing degree was psychology. And I just, I just said, this is me. I love this. I, I'm fascinated of how the mind works, how we process information, uh, and, and everything had to do with it. So I stuck to with it. It's hard, a lot of reading, a lot of writing, but I'm proud to say I'm in part of the honors program and I have already 60 credits and my GPA is 3.97. So my goal is to graduate with one of those cum laude things. So we'll oh, exciting. Well, good luck. No, definitely. I if you're gonna do it, it's definitely something that you're capable of. Uh, so you were an Olympic shooter in Venezuela. How are you still participating in that, that sport here in America today? Are you still active in the community? Well, I try actually. I came, to, it's funny thing is because in Venezuela we had uh, Olympic shooting in most major states, cities. And I imagined that the same thing was gonna happen in the United States. And I was so far from the truth. Uh, first day I went to Miami and it was hard to find a place to shoot Olympic shooting. So it was challenging for me. It wasn't until when I went to Texas in 2005 and I found, I mean, 2005, I'm sorry, 2015. We're talking about over 10 years since I came to the United States. I found this great group of Olympic shooters and they're in Dallas. Um, and I started training, I got, my air pistol, I got all the equipment. And unfortunately, uh, I, and I actually did the tryouts for Rio 2016. I mean, when I'm committed to something, I'm committed. But unfortunately, I didn't 
because of the position of Olympic shooting, we shoot like this sideways, right? After all that training, I was having neck pain and I'm like, oh, this is not normal. Well, it happens to be that I have neck issues <laughs> and I had to pretty much put that aside. My health is first and trying to make sure that my neck doesn't get worse. But um, I do practice other activities. I do USDSA, in, um, in, in, which is a practical sport that we combine between speed, accuracy, different scenarios. We run around and we have walls and doors and windows. And it's a very fascinating sport and fun. And just recently, I started doing two-gun competitions just because um, even though I did three gun competitions too with my AR-15 pistol and shotgun, uh, right now with my little one is hard enough to keep up with everything else. But I did want to, I did want to um, get back into getting used to using my rifle. You know, get used to the gun, and and it's fascinating because even though I thought I, I'm like, oh yeah, I know how to use an AR-15 and everything. And when you are in the moment, when you, the timer is off, when, you know, you have to make decisions in, at the moment, you know, if you're not 100%, 100% familiar with it, that's when you make mistakes. And that's what I've been finding. I've been making a lot of mistakes, <laughs> which is, at the end of the day, is a learning experience. No, I'm glad that you finally got connected. I know you have a really strong social media following, right? Did that come after you were on Top Gun or was that, you know, after? Yes, that was after Top Shot. So, oh, Top um, Shot, great. Top yes. Shot. <laughs> <laughs> I love that one. Uh, but that's, that's exciting. I, let's go back to the beginning when you were in Venezuela. So you came in yes. 2002, right? How old were you? I was 21. Oh, geez. I'm 24 now. I can't imagine. It's... Yeah, um, I loved everything. I, in fact, a month before I moved completely, like, to the United States, I had, I wore, I had uh, competed at the South American Games in Brazil, and I won three gold medals out of uh, four options of medals that I had, and I was Olympic hope for 2004, I was one of the favorite shooters to win medals at the Central American Games, and I left everything behind. I figured that, you know, uh, even if I, even let's say, I could train hard and even though I could, you know, we cannot tell the future, but let's say I could have won a medal in Athens 2004. I was certain that that medal was not what's gonna guarantee my future, if that makes sense. And I had already seen how things were going downhill in Venezuela uh, rather quickly, especially in my sport, you know, we, they, they had so many gun restrictions already. Hugo Chavez had impl implemented a lot of gun restrictions, ammunition restrictions. So that itself, it really hindered my sport. Yeah, and so how old were you when the things started getting really bad in Venezuela? Because a lot of people don't understand how quickly this was, a matter of a couple of decades. Uh, can you explain your experience of the timeline and, and what you noticed versus what you didn't? I mean, you were very young at the time, so. Well, one thing that people need to understand too is that Venezuela had already a lot of social tendencies, socialist tendencies. Then it's not like Hugo Chavez came in and immediately implemented socialism. He, what he did mm -hmm. is he sealed it, if that makes sense, okay? 
he implemented a socialism extremist uh, ideology. So, um, so when 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 Venezuela had this, you know, social programs, um, what happened is that the people weren't necessarily satisfied. People, when they, you're giving them and giving them, they're never going to be satisfied. They're not, for the most part, trying to look for get out of themselves. They're always trying to see how the government can give them more, how they can give them more. So. Um, when when Hugo Chavez in 1997 or even earlier became a candidate, uh, he came with these ideas. He, he was like he was going to be the true socialist, the true messiah who was going to bring all these ideas. He was going to re he was going to transform what Venezuela was. And obviously, he portrayed this idea that many people bought, and even people that were close to me. Um, you know, I had friends who came from Cuba and they kept saying, this guy talks like Fidel Castro. Um, he is going to, he talks about socialism and like, yeah, we're going to put it like real socialism in Venezuela. And uh, th these friends really gave us a good, uh, at least to me and some of my friends, gave us a good idea of what this quote unquote socialism came. And so as a person that, you know, I'm an athlete, I believed even as a young, I was only 16 years old back then, um, as a young person, I believe in effort because nobody gave me a medal for free. Nobody said, oh, Gabby is the shortest girl in town. <laughs> so we're gonna give her a medal. Uh, no, I had to work it, you know, I have to be good at school. I have to do and train every day, except for, for Mondays, but I train for hours. So I came from that idea of effort, of, you know, hard work and, and you know, rip your, 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 all, all that effort, you're going to get your reward. So um, when Hugo Chavez came into power and he won the election with these ideas. Then one of the, another thing I realized, he created the hate between classes. But the interesting thing, it was not necessarily the millionaires and the poor, no. It became to the point where if you were slightly successful, you were part of the bad people. And what I mean is that, and, and my sister, I was not there, but my sister, so that was driving with my dad. And it's not like he had a new car, but he had a, like, you can have an SUV who you just probably bought a year ago, two years ago. It looks new. Um, and some guys just went by in a motorcycle and spit in my, in my, to my, to my dad's car. And in the scheme of things, that seems like nothing. But when we talk about the mentality, when we talk about the, the real root of things, you can see that that hate is not necessarily of the have and don't have, but those between you have more than I do, even if it's this much, you have more than I do. And that creates that gap that is not economical, but is social, it's emotional, and that is even, 
you cannot, I mean, it's, it's not easy to change. You cannot just buy people's emotion. Oh, I'm going to give you this and that of a sudden you're going to love this other person. No, it doesn't happen like that. Hate is one of the worst, strongest emotions in humans. And when it's seated, begin to see it in society, it, it's hard. It's hard for them to let go. Yeah, no, I, I'm glad you brought that up because the idea of Marxism is so, so relevant in America today. With Black Lives Matter, I mean, the founders called themselves, quote, trained Marxists. And so, so many people don't understand what that concept is. I mean, they may think of Che Guevara and, and Karl Marx and the guys that you see on the t-shirts and the guys that you see on the posters. I mean, I don't know if you knew this, Gabby, I had a roommate in college who had a poster of Mao Zedong, Lenin, Stalin, Karl Marx, and Fidel Castro on her wall. And I, she truly was a self-identifying communist. <laughs> and she said she was helping the poor. She was helping the people that are suffering in America. And there are so many well-intentioned people out there. But at the end of the day, Marxists, the actual radicals with bad intentions are just trying to divide and conquer us. And I think back a lot of people on the left in America today will criticize the Cubans who fled Cuba as if they're just the rich white people that didn't like the socialist policies and didn't like that the workers now had control. And it's just, it's this growing narrative of even now the farmers are apparently the evil rich people. And there's a story of Che Guevara and Fidel Castro stealing animals from the Cuban farms and giving the animals to the people, telling them it's not fair they have more than you have. It's not fair they have all that food, all the animals, all the land, and we're gonna take it from them and give it to you. I mean, animals, is that really how low they had to go attacking farmers in America? I don't know any rich farmers. I mean, <laughs> maybe there's like the industry families, but but it is just shameful. And it reminds me, did you see Joe Biden? They had said, oh, they're only going to increase taxes on the rich. This is only going to be for families who make over or for individuals who make over $400,000. And now that he's in office, they're saying that it's going to be for families that make over $400,000. And that's a huge mm -hmm. difference. That means two individuals yeah. making two hundred. And so I, that's really de-incentivizing people to work hard and earn a little bit extra in life because you can really, people have the capability to earn $200,000. And for us to criticize somebody for doing that as if they are an evil rich person that needs to be taxed more and pay their fair share, it's just a shame. Uh, it, it, yeah, one of the things that is interesting and in going along with what you're saying is that in talking about what your, your fellow student or your roommate from school, right? <laughs> college okay, so oh, college right yeah. so you know this is something I thought and not so long ago I thought okay you can blame Venezuelans who fall for these ideologies and, and and all that because yeah Venezuela we have a higher rate of poverty uneducated individuals um, but then you go to the United States I mean you would say the United States highly more educated than uh, most people in Venezuela, and yet you see these people in the United States falling for the same ideology, and it makes you wonder what is it, what that, what is it, what what doesn't make it people to follow this ideology. And what I kind of trying to figure it out, and I kind of going to one day, I, I, hopefully I will, is that manipulation. You know, anybody can be manipulated. Anybody, whichever route they go. For instance, in Venezuela, the manipulation was, yes, you, you know, you, you people are poor, 
So the government is going to protect you. The government is going to give you and all that. I think the manipulation in the United States is the opposite because I believe in the United States, which one of the greatest gift the American people have, and I think it's, um, you know, it's admirable, is American people is very given, is, is, is very, you know, they hand you a hand, oh, somebody needs help, they donate money. So the American people really likes to help. So I think the manipulation is turns on the other side. It's like, oh, now we need socialism to help all these people, you see? So the idea is the same. They just change, they just twist the way how they, they, they send the message and target their people they want to accept socialism. So I believe that people in America, many Americans who are very smart, who are very intelligent, they feel like, oh, you know, I am someone who helps others. I am someone who, you know, have this, you know what I mean? Like when Absolutely. everybody wants to be a, uh, that person that helps uh, uh, and so that gives you that sense of fulfillment and yeah. so people fall for those ideas and and it's fascinating I mean scary in one sense but in the other sense I'm as a student of psychology I think it's also very fascinating how manipulation can go around and how can information can be twisted just to get the targeted uh, in this case uh, constituents who fall for these ideas who have been failing for for decades. <laughs> it's, you know it, what I mean? It is, it's yes. truly fascinating just considering the fact over two dozen times this process has gone through in a country, failed the country, and led to absolute misery. And every single time, the people of the West, the left especially, they fall for it. They say, this is going to be the different attempt. This is what's going to set the standard for 21st century uh, socialism. I mean, that's what they said about Venezuela, right? 21st oh, yeah. century socialism. It's not going to be like the rest of them. And yeah. every single time it fails, they then reject it. The, the media that supported it, the celebrities, the politicians that also supported it and said it was going to be different this time, they go silent. And then you have the rejection of it. They say, oh, no, the system was corrupted. All of this, though, Gabby, I think relates back to just the basic issue of ignorance. And I'm not saying people are idiots in that sense. I'm not trying to be derogatory when I say that. It's the regular definition of ignorance, of just truly lack of understanding of the basics around this subject. And I wish we could solve it. I wish it would be this, oh, simple. We'll just reform the education system, reform curriculum. But it's going to take millions of dollars. We would have to do it on a state-by-state -state basis. And we're going to say we do it, say we get it passed in every single Republican state, maybe first, all the red states that are more conservative, we could get it passed in all those states and then work on the purple states, etc. It's millions of dollars spent. And then you have to hope that the infrastructure, which automatically is going to lean towards the government, right? It's, it's manipulated by unions, manipulated by the left. They have more power there. We have to hope that this curriculum reform about history and, and economics and policy and current events goes down from legislator in, in the bill to administration, to teachers, to students without being manipulated. We're facing a really big problem with that in America. And I'm worried because you have Gen Z and millennials, they've been through the system and now 70% of them want socialism. 70% of those two generations would vote for a socialist. I don't know about you, but I'm very confident in saying that 
I highly doubt 70% of that generation has even heard the term seize the means of production or nationalized major industry, the definition of socialism. I don't think they want socialism. I think they're very well intentioned and they're being lied to about these policies by really radical people that actually think it's gonna work again if we try it in America. But I'm curious, did this happen to you guys in Venezuela? It was a little different because like you said, you had the, the socialism light and then Chavez kind of locked it down. Was there a transition in the education system? Because I don't know if you've met Franklin Camargo. I might be pronouncing his last name wrong. Mm -hmm. He is the student who escaped Venezuela after he was expelled for standing up uh, against the Chavez regime. Uh, Basically, he was telling me that if you want to be in certain professions, the education system forces you to go to government school versus taking a different opportunity in a private school. Is that really the only situation that they have there that favors government school and indoctrination? Or what was your experience? Well, unfortunately, or I would say, I'm sorry, fortunately, <laughs> uh, I'm older than him. <laughs> and so I didn't go through that kind of education. Uh, my education was based on common, real stuff. You know, uh, the education I received from school, you know, middle school, high school, just referred to things that I needed to learn as a human being to make me a better uh, member of society. You know, uh, mm -hmm. it was nothing particularly political. Um, yeah. Nothing. I mean, I what just. Did you graduate? Sorry. What, uh, what year did you graduate high school? Ooh. Oh, 19, 1997, girl. <laughs> I didn't mean to ask about like age wise, but I'm just curious in terms of the timeline for the country. Yeah. W were things getting bad at that time or did you have a fairly normal childhood? And then things I had, you know, this is interesting because I, my, my family we were not rich whatsoever. I mean, I think we were a little bit lower than middle class family. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, my dad has his old car forever. Um, and, uh, but I, as an individual, I did not miss anything. Like I didn't miss a meal. Uh, I went to school. Uh, when my parents say we don't have money to pay to for toys or for candies or whatever, we just didn't buy them. But that didn't affect my real, my life that, you know, I, I was still having that conversation with a friend not so long ago that I see my son today in the United States have not a better uh, livelihood that I had, meaning he had, you know, he, he goes to bed, he had his meals, he goes to school. Uh, he gets the toys. I'm not a, you know, mom that buys a lot of toys. So he gets the, the things that are, I believe, are enough for him to have fun and enhance his 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 cognitive development. But um, so there was no, there's not much difference. I think the the difference comes with the point when, uh, like right now in Venezuela, it doesn't matter if you have slightly more money, but you cannot find food. So it doesn't matter if you have slightly, if you have saved money, if you cannot find meat or butter or the fruits necessary to provide your children to have a normal development. You see, they have a variety of a, a, a diet, a variety, various food to to for their development. So, you know, that's the difference now. Um, I didn't feel it exactly when I was in Venezuela, 
before I left, but what I did see, because I left uh, before the craziness with the food started it, but I did see the beginnings of it. And what was the beginnings of it? The beginnings of it was the you are successful, then you are part of the reach, so we're against you. I, like I'm saying, Hugo Chavez, right? Hugo Chavez would say, oh, this business, you know what? I don't think they need that establishment. They need to take it down now. So to me, it was a drastic, a drastic change. For many young people in Venezuela, especially possibly for him, uh, he grew up that probably for him that was he was too young he didn't remember to me was a drastic change from hey i am a business owner and with hard work i decided to rent the establishment or buy the establishment and out of the sudden here comes this guy and say we're going to take it from you like that you see so that's a drastic thing that's a different way how generations took hugo chavez uh, uh, legacy. You see, I think in my generation was very drastic because we went from, you know, sort of, of a light gray to black, <laughs> you know, right. So sort of saying, you know, right now he was uh, taking businesses, I mean, large corporations, uh, businesses were closing, businesses were leaving. And this is an interesting, interesting thing that were businesses who had the means to go. That people blame all the time, oh, this 1%, this 1%. I always tell them, guess what? Those are the first ones who are gonna fly, you see? So um, so I, what I saw, it was so dramatic because he was black. I mean, we had a normal life. To give you an example, in Venezuela, we had a lot of uh, informal business, business people, you know, who sell products on the street. Mm -hmm. And many of them will go to, to the islands like Curacao, uh, Aruba to buy merchandise and come back to Venezuela and resell it. They wouldn't even in a million years think that they were going to leave Venezuela. So even though the, the, the fight, quote unquote, was against the big corporate, corporations and the rich, when they were not there anymore because they flew away from Venezuela, then that gap came down. Who are going to be next in the list? And who are going to be next in the list? And who's going to be next in the list? So the idea that these people that want socialism and want like everybody to pay their fair share, which, which is fine if it's fair and everybody is contributing, then we have a different, then we can have a different conversation. But when it is, we're going to make these people pay a lot more. I mean, even if I'm, if I were a multimillionaire and you want to charge me, take out of 60, 70% of all my hard work, why would I stay? Why would I stay? Right. And so then when they are gone, they're going to be the next one, the small business owners and so on and so forth. What people don't realize is that everything is that we live in an ecosystem, you know, whether it's biology, whether you're living in, think of, of it as earth, we, we live in a 
system, human, you attack one way without making sure that everything is in balance, and you're going to destroy it. You're going to little by little make it down to crumble. Yeah, no, I, I'm glad you mentioned that because, I mean, when you think of Venezuela's economy, people immediately think of the nationalization of the oil industry. But I've heard stories of Chavez, he had his own like media channel, right? And I heard that he would have a show and would be walking down a main street and just point at different small businesses that he wanted to take on the show. And they I watched that live. I watched that live. Really? Right. <laughs> that was, I was there in Venezuela. I, I was there until 2002. That was the, the boom when all, you know, the huge chaos that, that happened in Venezuela. And to me in 2002, that was the it. Like I, I was like, you know, th th this is, there's no turning back. I, I then I realized that there was no turning back on how these people were taking the country, how this guy, this idiotic ideology was taking down the country, it was not giving people the tools to be better for themselves, but a tool to keep them, to keep everybody at the same level. Meaning socialism doesn't bring everybody up. It means people from up, to down people level keeps people uneducated keep people in in a level that makes you accept what the government wants you to accept and that's when i realized that uh, especially that 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 scene of him walking around i was like oh yeah i mean many Venezuelans watched that it, it was terrible because he he even though he had the national tv what they do I don't know how would you say it in English that the little little literal translation is he would change all the channels he would when he would do something like that he would make all the channels not they will interrupt all their programs everything that was happening in the moment just to put his uh, many of the things many of the things that he did it was just boom whether a speech or something. I don't remember if that happened with that episode, but I do remember watching it. Do you wanna know something kind of gross, but interesting? I, I love these little tidbits because Bernie Sanders has done some really troubling things when it comes to Cuba. I mean, he went and I guess trained with uh, the Sandinistas in Nicaragua and helped them out. Uh, apparently he, in like early 2000s, when he was in local government, found out about uh, Chavez's media program that he had is very personable, like man of the people show where he'd go and interview businesses and stuff like that. And that's apparently what inspired Bernie Sanders to start his own. And so if you look it up, he has like a Burlington, Vermont, local government media show where he would do the same stuff as Chavez. And it's freaky to watch knowing that that was the original inspiration. Um, so what I think I'm really interested in now too is with COVID, a lot of people are freaking out about this. And I specifically thought of this too, because you see them using different regulations and random reasonings that aren't exactly solid or constitutional to shut down people's businesses. And I don't know if you remember, there's a story of the woman in Dallas who got thrown in jail when she opened mm -hmm. up her business. But there was also a story of a mom in Oregon, Oregon, uh, and she opened up her hair salon one week before they were going to open 
statewide. And she did it because she literally had to put food on the table. She said that her and her other stylists were running out of money and could not feed their family that week. And so she said, screw it, we're gonna open. They didn't really have a way to prove that she had done anything wrong. You know, like they, they couldn't find an actual law that she broke or something to actually hold her accountable. And so what they instead did is they had the city reach out to her and say she was violating her agreement because she's on city land. And so they were going to threaten to shut off her utilities. They had child protective services sent to her house and questioned her in front of her children, questioned her daughter and said, is your mom making you, you know, feel uncomfortable in this dangerous environment? She's not being safe with you. And they used all the creepy crawly arms of the bureaucracy to threaten her and, and silence her. I heard that that is similar to what happened in Venezuela, where it was just like another organization or another committee through the government making more and more regulations. And that's how they would force the small businesses down. They would show up and say, you're in violation of this thick packet. You need to be closed in a couple of days. Have you heard of that at all? Well, I remember a different, I mean, like everything, everybody has different experiences. Uh, but what I do remember, yeah. it was more like necessarily making businesses to close itself, but creating so many different regulations that it kind of shifted how the business was working. For instance, there was a point where it was very difficult, almost in I would say impossible, but very difficult to fire employees. So it makes it more like, okay, employees have a lot of more power within the company than the owners of the company. So what, there was a point where if you had to fire an employee because they were not performing, because they were bad employees, or simply because you cannot, they could not afford uh, having that many employees, you literally have to buy them off. Like you have to give them such a big package that they, they say, you know what? Okay, I'm going to resign. I'm going to take this and I'm going to go because you technically could not even fire them. And that happened not too long ago when the government imposed a 3,600% increase in salary, which was ridiculous. Um, but it also happens in the sense that it, the idea of, oh, these are business owners. So now we're going to shift the you know the, the roles right but the problem with that is is that the people who put the business who invested who has the ideas who put all the money in it they say you know what <laughs> this is not business anymore yeah and then so it, i wouldn't I, I would say even though you would think that it was the government trying to shut him down i would go a little bit further and to say that their ignorance their ignorance, how business work, and the following ideologies that have no logic with when it comes to how to make a prosperous business that provides jobs for the public makes those businesses close. So people who were part of the government were not even, I wouldn't say experts, but were not even very good, were not knowledgeable what they were doing. They were just tied up to the idea they were just like the uh, you know the ones who would say yes whatever Hugo Chavez says we just say amen uh, that kind of people and so that doesn't serve anybody doesn't serve anybody but themselves it serves only the people from the government who were at the end of the day were putting money in their pockets they didn't care if you know 
you know, when they took this business out of other businesses and they said, well, now we're going to nationalize, nationalize this, this company, they didn't know how to run it. They didn't know how to run it. That's why the oil industry in Venezuela is, is, is nothing now because they put all these individuals who know nothing, people who are not invested into, into an a, in, a, in a real idea to make things work other than how they can put money in their pockets and follow this idea that this president is pushing. So I think it comes out is is, is a double thing. It won't, many of them were forced to 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 close by the government, but I'm sure that many, if not the vast majority, were forced to close because of the idiotic, uh, ignorant rules and regulations I imposed. To give you an example, there were uh, one of the things that Hugo Chavez was pissed off because of uh, the price of meat years ago. And so he couldn't fathom why the meat cost whatever, I don't even remember, per pound. And so he said, he made a rule that now the, the meat was gonna cost X amount of bolivares per pound, which was less than a owner, you know, was less, well, whatever he had to, didn't cover costs, let's put it yeah. say. The, the price that Hugo Chavez put per pound would not cover cost. So what is that person gonna do? I'm gonna just lose money, produce and lose money or run out of business and take whatever I have left and see what I'm gonna do or leave the country, you see? So that's the thing that is easy to say that, oh yeah, the government may enclose its businesses. But the long-term consequence happened after this idiotic ruling that did not make sense. They were just mandates because the president or the minister or whatever said that that was what needed to be done with no studies, with no ideas of how it's gonna affect the rest of the population and they just did it. And that is the long-term because Little by little, people were closing businesses on their own because they could not afford to continue these businesses open. And the problem with that is that society don't see that immediately. It's, it's a long term. So probably with, for instance, think about this. Venezuelans who are 29, 29, 29, 25 years old, to probably do not remember the Venezuela I live. Think about it. 20, uh, 25 year old. I guarantee you, does not remember. I have a visual memory of what it was Venezuela before, a 25 year old. And, and that's a problem with socialism that this guy, these people, they work slowly, patiently, they change the ideology they condition society and they change through their generations. So people think, oh yeah, this is gonna be, you know, in 10 years. No, the impact, you're gonna feel it. <laughs> you, you, you will, if we continue this in the United States, it's gonna happen, but you're gonna see in the next generation that they won't know what it was the, the United States that we know today. 
Yeah, I and that's what I think we're having in America, especially in the the more liberal states. I mean, I just moved from upstate New York in October, and it, it is truly like these people are rejecting common sense, and they are not experienced in business, and they are crippling small businesses. I remember last year when the number came out that a hundred thousand small businesses had closed their doors permanently because they just couldn't survive anymore, and it was it was so sad because at the same time the major corporations that align with the left are making billions of dollars more. Uh, I have this weird theory. I don't know if you would agree with this, but the more I see the woke corporatism in America, the more we see the major business titans align with the radical left. It's fascinating to me because these are the richest of the rich aligned with the eat the rich socialists. And they're all working against basically the average Americans, the classical liberals, the capitalists, the moderate Dems and Republicans, people who thought that America would just be longstanding and I think took our situation for granted the way we have it here. And and what's so interesting is usually socialism is that first step to communism, right? It's the economic step. It gives the government economic power over the people to force desired action and behavior. Now, thanks to woke corporatism, they are implementing the demands and the desired behaviors of the left by forcing us because they do have economic power over us in many ways, whether we want to fly on airplanes, whether we want to participate in certain aspects of society. Uh, so it's quite interesting. We're almost skipping the step of socialism and going right to authoritarianism. And it's happening right as we're talking today. So it's it's hard to really describe it well, but it is, I think, unprecedented. Uh, what I'm curious about, though, today, we don't only have this economic problem. What we we hear about this with Chavez, he was put into power and he slowly started to implement the socialist policies that led to quite a drastic change after everything pretty much was solid. One of those was kind of packing the court, making the elections untrustworthy. Did you have any experience with that? Do you remember any of the other uh, more policy-like changes that he did that really changed the structure of the government? Well, basically, to me, the most, Im the most impactful one, which I was there, was when he literally changed the Constitution. Uh, he called for a change of the Constitution uh, to give him technically more power. In Venezuela, presidents were not allowed to take consecutive terms. So now he changed that and he changed many other things. So, and, and that I relate a lot to people here when they say, oh, yeah. You know, let's change this thing of the constitution. You know, this is going to be good for us. I'm like, really? Once you start changing one, it's never going to stop. So, you know, it was, it looked like a well intended. You know what I mean? His idea was like, we're going to change part of the constitution so I can help you more because I am tied up. I'm, I, I cannot do much because I don't have all the power. You see? It, it, the manipulation is just like, you know, I need more power so I can help you, so I can do my work. And, you know, people say, oh, well, that kind of makes sense, right? But at the same time, somebody who, who understands history, I'm not saying smart or intelligent, who understands history knows that unchecked power is extremely dangerous when you have individuals that they believe that they have. Uh, all say and all they want and they can do it, especially in governments, it does not lead to good things. So like I'm saying, I saw my experience in Venezuela 
was the drastic change in ideology because it was drastic. Like I'm saying, in Venezuela, they, there were some socialist ideas, programs, whatever. But when Hugo Chavez came, he came with the real socialist, you know, ideology, like the, the, from the 21st century socialism. And, um, and, and to me, that was the most impactful thing. It was like coming from some sort of freedom to, wow, this is madness. Like what did we get ourselves into? But unfortunately, not everybody saw it that way. You see, that's the interesting thing that not everybody saw it that way. And um, it just, it's all, it's all about how you sell. He was a good salesperson, you know, and, and people who, yeah. who thought they were gonna benefit from it, they, 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 they were happy with it. And, you know, many things that he did back then was like telling people, okay, we're gonna give you a washer and dryer. We're gonna give you a cell phone. Uh, and, and that kept them happy, you know, because people felt like they were receiving, finally the government is doing something for me. So we're gonna keep voting for them. And that's why, you know, you have to be, keep these people in check. Um, I know many other Venezuelans, younger, a lot younger than me, uh, have a very different view or different experience because they, they experienced a Venezuela that lacked everything like a good education. I had a, I believe even, I, I studied in a, in a, in a, in a semi-funded, like a, from the government, it was semi, it was not fully private, it was not fully uh, public, but it was a, a religious education and I had friends who came from different walks of life and we had a fair education, it was not about you know, when we learn about history, we learn about history, what happened. It was not tailored to which political or which president was there. Today, the idea is that Chavez is still alive somewhere. <laughs> I think is that what he's they say? In, I, yeah, pretty much. Wow. They, 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 they say that, you know, Chavez, yeah, that's one of their saying that Chavez is alive, live, like same, wow. same ideology as uh, Cuba. Yeah. Um, and uh, they, they do, he, literally, he make change, changes in the, in the education where he's next, next to uh, Simon Bolivar, which is our, you know, a very important figure, figure in the history of Venezuela. Uh, so, you know, the, the, he made changes, very drastic changes in how children are educated now. And that changes how they're going to grow and how they're going to be, what they're going to think when they become adults. Of Many of them may, you know, ha may have had strong parents who teach them at home that no, that's not how things are. But unfortunately, I don't think that's the majority. No. Uh, so was it when we first met? I mean, we met almost two years ago, which is kind of crazy. COVID has just completely uh -huh. distorted my sense of time <laughs> and it's already 2021. Uh, but you had told me the story of just as you were on your shooting team and you're, you're seeing it getting more difficult and more difficult to just get ammo and get practice ammo and stuff. Is that what really drove you to finally make that decision? I mean, you're in your early twenties and you left the country. Was that what was the final straw for you or no, how'd you make no. that decision? 
No, there were there were, were many different factors. Uh, back then, uh, I had a boyfriend who was already in the United States, and he for two years was bugging me to move to the United States. And I was like, no, I, I have a good life in Venezuela. I have my career. I have everything. I love Venezuela. Uh, but as things were evolving, and, and especially with Hugo Chavez ideologies, I knew I had kind of where to go. But I'll never forget, I was in a van. And this is a story most people don't know. I was in a van. And there was one of my teammates that his dad was very kind of tangled with the government, you know, like they kept even, you know, no, Hugo Chavez is this, they're doing that. Of course, you know, they were getting paid or involved. So they were, I, I'm not going to assume much, but that's pretty much what it is, you know. And I'll never forget, I'm listening to him and I'm like, just hold on, hold it. And I, until I couldn't. And I remember I turned back and I said, you know what? I'm gonna leave this country. I'm gonna go to the United States and you are gonna stay here and you're gonna eat your words because this president is ruining the country. And I remember until this day, that conversation because it was almost like I, you know, I said, that's it. You know, these people don't, they're not gonna change. Uh, or more than they're not going to change, they are not seeing things for what they are. They see this right now. Oh, I'm making money right now. <laughs> this is is benefiting me at this moment. But how that's going to play in 20 years from now? How that's going to that doesn't really benefit, you know. And that's the part that most people miss. They see the now. But how's that, you know? Like we're saying right now, like what. President Biden, these, you know, plans and all that, how's that going to affect the next generation? This is gonna be fully in debt. But oh, many people today say, oh, but that benefits me now today. So it's okay. I think it's right. So and 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 that's a part that I'm like always like, wow, you know, sometimes it's not about how educated or not you are, is how effectiveness of the manipulation to get into these kind of ideologies is the only, is the only explanation, yeah. logic explanation I have to tell the truth. Yeah, well, it's because, I mean, a lot of these people from higher education, especially, I mean, they're, they have masters, they have PhDs, they're, yeah. you know, smart on paper, they have these degrees, and at the end of the day, they're pushing some really ignorant stuff. And it makes me really sad. I would say two things that are missing in terms of like just core values as individuals. I wish that we had a better ability to compare and say, okay, we have some problems for sure, but we have come so far as a world, as a, as a country in America. I mean, instead of looking forward and looking at all the progress we've made, because it's insane progress, we right. are looking backward 400 years and now trying to cause a disturbance in the country over it. And I wish that we had the ability to, to look at comparative history and just have respect for how far we've come. And then the same thing for just critical thinking, the ability right. to challenge and the, the ability to question too. Uh, speaking of all that with America right now, let's end it with just discussing right now the story that stuck with me since we first met was how you told me that people from Cuba that had originally escaped to Venezuela 
were warning people in Venezuela, this sounds exactly like what <laughs> Castro said to us. Chavez sounds just like Castro. He's doing the same things as Castro. This is not going to be good. And people told you, oh no, or people told the people from Cuba, oh no, no, we're not an island like Cuba. We have a strong economy. We're mm -hmm. one of the most richest uh, countries with natural resources in this continent. It's never going to happen here, et cetera, et cetera. And now you and so many other Venezuelans are in America today saying the exact same thing to America and getting the exact same response, but the American version where, oh, we're America, it can never happen here. We have the constitution and we're, we're the best country in the world. So how does that feel when you look and see groups like Black Lives Matter who are dominating the media? And I immediately think of, there's pictures of the Black Lives Matter founders meeting with Maduro. I mean, they're meeting with socialist leaders. They wrote a letter in defense of Fidel Castro when he passed away saying that we need to honor his memory. And they're also calling themselves trained Marxists. So a lot's going on. And I want, I don't know if you knew this, one of the videos that we posted with you originally when we launched this organization, it, it has millions of views. It's mm -hmm. been the pinned video on our Facebook page from nice. day one. I do not, it's been our number one. <laughs> so we pinned it on our page and it's been up for almost a year and a half. And now it is censored on Facebook. Now oh, they what? They They've blurted out and they said it's like disturbing content or something. I've got to go check, but I'll send it to you. We're reaching this such a weird phase where not even a, a nonprofit that's against socialism is free to post testimony content onto social media without it being censored. So what do you think of all of this that's going on? And what's your message for young people specifically and older who are really confused and misled right now? Well, the first thing I want to say is this, before you think that it's not gonna happen here, or that you know the United States is not like those countries like Cuba or Venezuela, you need to look around you and see how many rights today are on hold with no expiration date, okay? So we already have received, have gotten a taste of what is real government control. Uh, nobody's exempt from it. I mean, we are always a generation, like I'm saying, a generation away to lose rights. And, and then another generation away to, to really lose all your rights. Uh, in Venezuela, to give you an idea, in Venezuela right now, you have to have a permission. And I'm talking about today. I'm not talking about, uh, you have to have a permission to leave your state. Permission. To leave your state unheard of yeah. i'm sure possibly i hope no but you know what else it could happen and that's and not the united, it's just a government regulation to kind of control yeah. the people or right right so uh, there's always and this is something this is that quote i came up with because i think it, it kind of wraps things around wraps wraps things up and that there's always a a, a good excuse to limit rights for the common good. They will tell you all the time, we should all do this. We should all, you know, stop speaking so we can avoid people to feel bad. Don't speak up. Don't tell the truth. Just hold it. You don't want another person to feel bad, do, do you? So as we see, little by little, people don't know it. Our rights are being taken away. I am not, I have a son now, I'm a mother, I'm not the same 
young girl who had so many dreams. And then Hugo Chavez came in. It was like a plush of cold water that literally was there to destroy my dreams. Now I feel I have a different purpose um, because to tell the truth, this, the United States is the best country in the world to live, to succeed. I have been rock bottom here. I have had my rough times and I don't say that to, to get empathy from anybody, but to tell you that you can get up because I did. I did, I, in my mind, it's like, if I have to be the only thing that can make me stay up and survive and provide for my child is cleaning floor, guess what? My, my floors will be the shinest in town. And so that's the attitude that gets you out and if you makes you hunger to do your best. But the attitude of waiting, sitting back, like that's what the government wants. That's the ideologies of Biden and Harris. Just let people stay. We understand you stay back. We'll, we'll pay you until when? Because money's gonna run. Money's not gonna, you know, it doesn't come freely. <laughs> so I just say, be active, be politically active. Call your legislators, call them, contact them, and, 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 and educate your children. Talk to your children because they are the next generation. And, you know, we need to be a part of the solution, but also a part of a society who is ready to maintain and protect freedom in the country as we know it. I love that. No, th that was a, a great lesson for everybody. I, I think the complacent ignorance is so frustrating to me because there are so many people, you know, they take their kids to soccer practice every weekend. They send the kids mm -hmm. off to school every Monday. They maybe have a wine night with the girlfriends and they just go about their life and they assume that this is always going to remain consistent, our country and our system. And that is so far from the case. This is such a, a fragile system and it relies on people staying vigilant and aware and, and active in their own communities. So that's, I'm a little biased, but I think that is an awesome lesson for people of all ages to learn. Gabby, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. And I'm sure everybody listening is like, oh, wow. Uh, do you have anything that you wanna want us to know about or how can we stay in touch with you? I, people love to go off of this page and branch off meeting everybody else. So I'm sure they would love to do that with you. Right. Well, they can visit my website, gabbyfranco.com, uh, or go to my social media, my Facebook, my Instagram is gabbyfrancots 4 same as Twitter, but anything else, if anything, anything, is just stay active and, hey, be part of our movement to protecting our country. That's the only thing I would ask out of anything. <laughs> Awesome. I agree. And we will link those in the description for anybody who's interested in going to connect with Gabby after this. Gabby, again, thank you so much. Uh, we really appreciate it. And we will see you guys next week for a new uh, individual from another socialist or communist country. Thanks guys so much. Thank you.